everybody. Welcome back to the Midnight Terrors podcast. I am your co-host today, Kevin. Down to Jason today. He had a family emergency, but he will be back on the next episode. But in the meantime, we have some very special guests here for you this week. And I would like to welcome the Halfling and the Spaceman of the Halfling and the Spaceman podcast, Janet and Roger. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Good. Nice to see you again. Roger, how are you? I am doing great. Glad to be on here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been a long time coming. We already about two months ago is when we recorded uh, mine and Jason's episode on your show, and that was a total yeah. blast. So I'm glad we're getting <laughs> to do it, uh, do it the other way, and have and have you guys on here. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun, and we appreciate the invite to uh, to be on on your show as well. Of course, it's been a a fun summer working with you guys because I know that we got to. Uh, do the panel at Atomicon together, doing the Ask a Podcaster panel, and then we got to do your show, and now we've worked this out. So this has been this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're happy to have you on Midnight Terrors finally, and we'll get into our signature question in just a moment. Um, but just for everybody listening, we are discussing 1997's Event Horizon, which is going to be a fun discussion today uh we've all watched it in preparation for this and we're going to do a, sort of a deep dive on the movie which is going to be fun uh but before we get started we always start with the exact same question for every guest that comes on and we touched on this a little bit on your show but we're going to do a deeper dive here i guess uh so janet or roger we always start the same way as fans of horror whatever type of horror is your you know your go-to what was your intro to horror like and what movies got you into the genre? Or as Jason would say, what movies, quote unquote, messed you up? Uh, Janet, you, <laughs> Janet, you want to start th start with that one? <laughs> oh, put me on the spot. OK, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> um, well, no, it, I mean, this is going to sound really stupid and silly. But like I said, when you guys were on our show, <laughs> uh, my introduction, if you want to call it that, to horror again if you want to call it that was actually the wizard of oz <laughs> i'm sorry but the wicked witch of the west scared the crap out of me she did she, agreed she was the stuff <laughs> nightmares were made of that 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 was my first experience with nightmares and actually. your little dog too <laughs> <laughs> exactly speaking of which i actually had to play toto in a school play so back oh, off. very cool <laughs> my uh my younger brother was in a wizard of oz play and he was the mayor of munchkin land oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but not the first time that uh wizard of oz has made an appearance when someone talking about their intro to horror one of our very first guests that goes by mr j um that was his first thing that scared him that and et i believe et <laughs> Yeah, when E.T.'s not on screen, he was terrified of what might be hiding in the shed and throwing the stuff back at uh, Elliot. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. E.T. could be some serious cosmic horror. That's true. That's true. We <laughs> never see we never see E.T.'s homeworld. That's right. The unspeakable thing from out of space. <laughs> he was a cute little unspeakable thing, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So true. So true. Uh, uh, Roger, what about you? What what uh, got you into horror and what what was the movie that uh, or movies that sort of uh, messed with your head? Well, you know, my first experience with horror was that back when I was like uh, late elementary school or early middle school, 
uh, my cousins and I would get together and we would, uh, with my uncle Albert, we would watch these all night movie marathons of these old 1950s, 60s sci-fi horror movies like They Saved Hitler's Brain and 13 Ghosts. <laughs> but really the movie that made the biggest impact on me was the movie The Keep from the 1980s. And uh, that really kind of stuck out to me. I saw it on a uh, black and white TV and it was really powerful. That and uh, Quartermass in the Pit, that it was a it was a hammer film. And uh, I think it was uh, 50 million years to Earth in, in the US. Mm -hmm. It, yeah, yeah, sci-fi horror all over again. So that ties <laughs> into with today's episode. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> We uh we haven't dove into any hammer horror on the podcast. That's definitely something we want to get into because I know that that's very signature horror these days. You know, hammer mm -hmm. horror has got a lot of classics in there, um, yeah. especially in the 50s and 60s. All those are like have either been remade or they're highly, uh, highly regarded as classics. Oh, mm -hmm. dude, when you do uh, when you start into the hammer horror series, we got to get together and we got to talk about the vampire lovers. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> uh well well Kevin, I wanted to circle back if I could for just a second. Yeah, sure. I add something that I that I mentioned in, in addition to being scared by the Wizard of Oz when I was a wee kid. Uh <laughs> as an adult, the movie that really scared the crap out of me was Candyman. Ah. That that was that was the one that as an adult gave me nightmares and it, his performance of, I'm talking about Tony Don uh his performance was just I mean he was scary as crap and mm -hmm. and I mean I I literally had a nightmare the the night after we saw the movie where a friend of ours was joking around and we were I, I don't know how the two of us were in a bathroom together, but we were. <laughs> and there there was the mirror. And he started joking around going, Candyman, Candyman. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Dan, don't do it. Don't do it. I, there was there was a seriousness about it, you know. And he said, he said, Candyman the third time. And lo and behold, there he was. And I woke up. Oh geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we Candyman's premise is certainly terrifying it's definitely in that that bloody mary vein uh -huh. and uh tony todd is fantastic in that movie i'm actually uh before we're recording this because this might come out after i come back but um in about a week and a half after we record this i'm actually going to a convention in boston and tony mm -hmm. todd is one of the guests there nice so i'm very very excited to uh chat with him because he is a phenomenal actor Oh yeah, absolutely. He's anything I've ever seen him in. He's been just impressive, very impressive. Absolutely. Well, those are I can I can understand uh, both sides with uh, <laughs> with those movies that uh, that got in your head a little bit. And uh, Roger, I was going to say earlier when you were talking about the this you know the late night movies of the fifties, sixties, seventies movies. Mm -hmm. My mom always tells me the story about how she was at a sleepover. Um, and she's not a huge horror fan. She'll get into things that are right for her. She likes the the gothic period piece horror stuff. And she was at a sleepover when she was little. 
and everybody fell asleep and she woke up in the middle of the night and George Romero's Night of the Living Dead was on the television and she oh, was the, she was the only one awake. Oh no. <laughs> and she's like I couldn't go back to sleep. I just was stuck watching this on the television while everybody was asleep around me. <laughs> I was like I can understand maybe why you're not huge into horror then that's pretty traumatizing. Yeah. It is. It yeah. Is. Yeah. I, I I totally get that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for uh for telling us a little bit about your background in horror. And I'm excited to do a deep dive on our movie pick for this week, Event Horizon. And so, you know, going back a little bit to our origins with this movie, this was actually a first time watch for me. Um when Jason was gonna be on the show, he and I actually watched it together last night. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a fan of this director that that did the movie, Paul W.S. Anderson, uh-huh. uh, but I had never seen it. And finally, it came up as one of the potential movie picks for the show. And I was like, OK, finally, we'll get to watch this. But this was my first uh, first time watch after hearing about it for so many years. But when did you both first uh, see this movie? I think we saw it in the theater in 1997. Yeah, we did. We did. We saw it when it first came out. Um, so, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, this, uh, I know that this movie's garnered definitely a cult following, but looking at the box office when it came out in the theater, it was actually a, a flop. Yeah, it, it didn't, it didn't do well at all, which I think is a shame. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Looking, looking at the movie, I, I, I'm surprised that it didn't do any better than it did. I, I'm not, I'm not. I, I have issues with the film and we'll get into those later. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you would uh I mean, you would think that uh especially with having someone like Sam Neill in here as sort of the one of the the two leads of the film, you know, this was post Jurassic Park and he was, you know, <laughs> at this point peak movie star. So you would think that oh, this is a sci-fi movie with, you know, Lawrence Fishburne and and uh Sam Neill. This would be a big draw, but no, it was it did not make its budget back, but definitely Probably when it hit video stores is when it became something of a of a cult classic. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it 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 was one of those that that benefited from the. Well, I mean, now it would be streaming service, but you know, back then that wasn't the thing. That was the video store, like you mm-hmm. said. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. kind of lose on things, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so the, I mean, the premise, you know, at its core um, for Event Horizon is that we've got a crew that is going to look for the ship, the Event Horizon, which disappeared about seven years before the movie takes place. And essentially they get there, they find that the crew of the Event Horizon has gone missing or been massacred or something has happened. And they find out that the ship has gone to another dimension and has either brought something back or is now somewhat affected by the dimension. And that's that's the premise that it's very basic, you know, synopsis. And it goes into interesting territory that I don't think I was prepared for with the movie. I, you know, kind of sci-fi horror is kind of kind of strange. It can go very much because when I heard about this movie people always compared it to like an alien sort of rip-off movie yes yeah um so I was like oh I guess it's 
Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne fighting some sort of alien creature, and that is enti- <laughs> entirely not the case. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> this this goes places I don't think Ridley Scott would would go. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, give him, he, give him he, money, he might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we just did an episode um that's coming out soon on a movie called Reanimator from the '80s, which is based off of an H.P. Lovecraft story. Mm-hmm. and going into this so when we did that episode i went into it not really knowing much about lovecraft and trying to educate myself on what what is lovecraft horror <laughs> uh so we had a huge discussion about that and now watching something like event horizon which i had heard was lovecraft horror and i'm like okay now i get it it's that that sort of fear yeah. of the unknown the exploration of the unknown and the potential disasters or consequences that come from certain scientific discoveries Mm-hmm. yeah uh, and and the thing about it is because roger and i were talking earlier about it i think one of the reasons that the movie works at least for me is that there there is a mystery of whether what they're experiencing is actual manifestations and real or whether it is all in their mind is everything that's happening just psychological or you know or are there physical manifestations and i think i think for for me that's one of the reasons that the movie works is because you don't know the viewer is left to make that decision on their own mm-hmm. and uh roger i know that i know that you said you had seen this you know way back when and then you guys revisited it a couple times in preparation for this where did where did your opinion fall when when revisiting it? I know you said you had some some issues with it. Okay, I like the movie because it, it, I'm going to say some harsh things about the movie, but I like the movie. So, but I, to me, this movie is the lesser son of Greater Sires because visually you can tell that it borrows from Alien. Um, in the design of both the Lewis and Clark and certain design elements on the Event Horizon uh, ship itself. Um, uh, You can tell that it borrows from The Shining in certain uh, cinematography and the scenes on board the um, Event Horizon, like where the blood comes uh, Mm -hmm. spilling out of the um, uh, stasis tank, the, the, the main stasis tank. That's very reminiscent of the elevator scene in The Shining. Um, so you can see those visual cues. Um, even even the uh, the electronic corridor scene um, where Sam Neill is trying to fix a breaker or something um, in the main engineering and uh, one of the times when he encounters his, his deceased wife is reminiscent of the corridor scenes in Aliens where they're uh, hunting the xenomorph. So, you know, yes, it's it's a little derivative in places, but it the way the parts are put together is is different. So, yes, you can see, you know, it's I, it's its own thing. And uh doesn't just because it's not as good as The Shining and it's not as good as Alien doesn't mean that it can't be appreciated on its own. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, uh, I was listening to, after watching it, I was listening to uh, another podcast talk about 
their analysis of the movie. And I guess that was sort of the idea that was pitched um, when the film was conceived was that they wanted it to be almost like The Shining in space, which they definitely got the feel of that right especially you're right roger with the with the blood imagery um and like there are definitely some i don't want to say attempts at them but very a good few shots that are kind of reminiscent of something maybe kubrick would do right right um and then yes absolutely the the digital um sort of corridor that sam neal is in I definitely was thinking of the xenomorph coming out of the shadows when uh, <laughs> one of the soldiers is down there. Yeah. <laughs> well, there there were some differences, though, that I really did appreciate. Number one, the crew of the Lewis and Clark were competent. Mm-hmm. Guys knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah. They, they were just yes. out of their league. Yeah. I mean, they were up against something that they had no idea how to deal with. And that that makes a difference if you don't know if you don't know what you're dealing with it's it's hard to counter it mm-hmm. and i mean they've all done their pretty much done their research on the you know the event horizon before going in and they know what their mess what their mission is they've got a captain in <laughs> lawrence fishburne who's who's gonna say nope this is our mission and we're gonna stick to it Oh, I love I loved him. I absolutely loved his portrayal. Yeah, bleep this he shit. <laughs> you know, he was, he was, yeah. I mean, I you could have almost cast you could have almost cast Samuel Jackson, but, but <laughs> I was thinking about was that very, too. Very, I mean, it would have been a little different, but for sure. I mean, the sentiment was was very much, you know, okay. This is what this is what we're about, and you know, and it gets to it gets to a point where these when he says we're leaving and and Sam Neill is like well, you can't do that it won't let you she won't let you and and then you know just a little bit later he was he was he was like oh I forget what did he what did he say he said oh I think he just said screw this ship or he might have said fuck this ship yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> anyway he was he was done he was done, and he made the decision that if Sam Neill's character wanted to stay on on that ship, if he said he was home and he wanted to stay there, that was it. He was getting his crew out. Mm-hmm. So I just I, I love I love Lawrence Fishburne's portrayal. <laughs> I, I loved all the characters. The, all the yes. characters were great, and they all made perfectly good sense. And you know, coming away from the film, I, the I, I the first thing I told the halfling over here was that I wish this film had been about 30 minutes longer. And then I found out that the film had originally been 30 minutes longer. Mm -hmm. It probably hadn't been the 30 minutes I would have wanted um, because they had more of the, uh, of the gore porn, but um, there was also more character development for the secondary characters. Mm -hmm. And that would have benefited the film greatly because you could have understood their individual psychosis that was being manipulated by the entity on board the ship. Yeah, definitely. I, cause I heard that too, that Paul W.S. Anderson initially wanted to have the the movie be like 120, 130 minutes or something like that. So we would have had more. And they did say that the gore was actually way more over the top way more disturbing which not sure because i'm right there with you with you roger i don't think that's what i would have wanted either because actually my favorite aspects of event horizon 
are the exploration scenes and the ambiguous scenes where before they, because this is 1997. So once they do kind of show you more stuff, the effects are very dated and it kind of right. takes away from the, the illusion when you see CGI creations on screen, but the scenes where Lawrence Fishburne is talking to uh, another actor that I really love whenever he pops up is Jason Isaacs in here mm-hmm. and their conversation where they're trying to decipher the Latin in the message that they found. And they're saying, you know, earlier on, Jason Isaacs thought it said, save me. And then he finds out that it says, save yourself, save yourself from hell. And nothing's on screen. It's just being delivered in dialogue. And that was the part where I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really creepy and really good at building an atmosphere, which is also interesting because, again, I'm a fan of Paul W.S. Anderson, the director, but his filmography, I don't think, has ever gotten back to this level because before this he did a a video game movie mortal Kombat, in 1995 which was you know a fighting movie and then he went on to do resident evil and monster hunter and like alien versus predator and i don't think that any of the other movies as much as i love them ever reached the the cleverness and the eeriness that event horizon got to right right yeah, Event Horizon was really sort of a high concept movie. Well, like I said, I so for me, I think I think that the big the big draw for me was the the fact that you really didn't know what it what was happening. You really did not know whether whether his wife was actually appearing, whether the fires were real whether the doctor saw her son, you know, you, you, you didn't know for sure whether these things weren't actually happening or was it just in their mind. And to me that, that, and I'm, I'm much more into the, the psychological horror movies Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to, when it comes to horror movies, I'm not, I'm not, this may, this may turn some people off on the show. (laughs) I apologize in advance, but but I'm not that much of a horror fan, but the horror that I mostly like is psychological based. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lopez's movie where she had, she played this agent who had to go into this psycho's mind because he had, he had kidnapped this girl and, and she was on, she was, she was going to die at a certain period if they didn't find her. So she went into his mind what was it the cell maybe it was the cell um but anyway that kind of thing was really was really that that kind of thing gets to me too um you know probably much more so than anything with just gore you know um so so yeah. that that's one of the reasons i i liked i like the vent horizon is is because there there's that psychological element to it but you also don't know if there's not real things happening. That. Right. Well, I think that is an important thing to that we always note on the show, um, referencing the not being a huge horror fan. We've had other people on the show, like my mom included, who really isn't all that into horror. She doesn't like being all that scared and, you know, doesn't like gore or anything like that. But then she'll go and see something that is absolutely horror but it's just painted 
in a different way we've got the the like she's a big fan of the monsters and she really liked the new monsters movie that rob zombie did right um and you know that's definitely a horror comedy with those classic characters and then we watched a show on netflix um from my favorite director mike flanagan the haunting of bly manor which is like an old school gothic you know mansion horror love story Mm -hmm. um and an adaptation of the the uh the book the turning of the screw so Mm -hmm. it's always fascinating that when people say oh i'm not really a horror fan they still have something that they really really Mm -hmm. like where horror has its roots and i think janet correct me if i'm wrong but when we were emailing to to prep for this you guys listened to our our episode on megan which i think was a movie you both enjoyed as well oh yeah we love definitely yeah and megan is definitely a more lighthearted approach but it is definitely a a horror maybe not necessarily a sci-fi but an ai horror movie um and you know showing the dangers of attachment to ai which is very timely (laughs) yeah yeah um but you know it's it's always interesting to <clears throat> to see that and again the i mean the psychological aspects for event horizon for me were also some of my favorite aspects because so when when we were about to watch the movie jason said oh it's a little ambiguous you know you you're probably going to have to figure some things out and i was like okay I, i'm okay with that and <clears throat> there are some things that are left ambiguous but i wondered if maybe they were going to leave the entirety of what actually is going on with the event horizon, just 100% ambiguous and we never know. But when they introduced about an hour into the movie that the ship is sentient and is aware of what's going on with the crew and how Mm -hmm. it's going to take different approaches, personal approaches to keep them from achieving their goal. Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, Oh wait, so this is definitely not an alien ripoff at all. This is actually something really different where uh, you know, almost AI, but actually not really, because it's an other being that's almost taken over the ship in some way, or there's something inhabiting the ship. Right. And as soon as that was revealed, that took the movie to another level for me. Mm-hmm. Right. They they made a point of showing life signs in the ship at the mm-hmm. beginning. They did yeah. that bioscan. There was something on the ship possessing the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And and Roger had an interesting theory that we had talked about, um, and it 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 comes to it comes back to the the their opening scene where Sam Neill has this nightmare about his wife, and so Roger, you want to tell what your theory was? Oh yeah, yeah. I I I have this own per- my my own personal fan theory about this that that Sam Neill was exposed to whatever dimension that. Um, that the event horizon went to while he was developing the drive for the event horizon because at one at some point they would have had to have prototyped it before they built a um before they built a full-scale working version of it yeah that's true and that actually makes a lot of sense because so when watching the movie it's about halfway through where um Sam Neill's character starts to go off the rails a little bit, very Jack Torrancey, where he's gone from, you know, being cordial with the team to I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep them here and not let them leave the ship and not let the ship be harmed. Mm -hmm. But it almost seems like watching back before that, 
he's almost aware of that already before he gets on the event horizon. So that's a good point that maybe he is aware of what's going on and might already have some malicious intent based off of his research of the other dimension. Right. And if you recall his first scene on Daylight Station before the Lewis and Clark arrives, <clears throat> he's having a dream of the events on the event horizon. Mm -hmm. Something he would have no knowledge of otherwise. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. That's definitely something I did not pick up on. And actually, as we're talking about it, there's a lot of things I never noticed. I forgot about the part <laughs> where uh, one of the soldiers is doing the life scans on the event horizon before they go on. And she's like, there is some sort of uh, life signs on the ship, but we can't pinpoint its location. It's just all over the ship. And so, Janet, when you said that, I was like, oh, wait, they did say the ship was sentient, so they're getting life readings from the ship, not just the, you know, a being in one point of the ship. And, it, and then if you think about how adamant Sam Neill's character was when they when they finally docked with, uh, with the event Horizon and, you know, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's captain character is... is you know, pointing out the people that are going to go over to the ship to make sure that it was safe or whatever. And, and Sam Neill wants to go. And he says, no, I need you, need, need you here. And he says, I have to be on that ship. He was very adamant about it. He was almost angry at the mm -hmm. idea that he couldn't get on that ship. And, um, and then of course, you know, things just spiral with him mm -hmm. I mean, really from really from early on you could see signs that something was going on in his mind and affecting him. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just got, and then it just, it just took over basically. Yeah, for sure. And that's a, that's a good segue to probably what are the most unsettling scenes in the movie is seeing what the ship does to each crew member to sort of push them over the edge because it's never just, here's a scary image to to scare you. It's this ship knows what, not only what you fear, but it's almost, it's way more realistic where it's the ship knows about your past and it knows what you're regretful of and what, you know, some of your mistakes in your life are, and it's going to play on those. So we've got a woman who sees her child that is injured and she misses her, her son, I guess, from from home and then we see Lawrence Fishburne he had a crew member that he left behind and he sees manifestations of that and Sam Neill's wife having committed suicide he has to relive that moment and that whole approach that the ship takes is definitely the most unnerving aspect of the of the movie for me yeah all I have to say about that is somebody give that ghost a blanket <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> uh well i forgot what i was gonna say oh yeah lawrence fishburne's character you know he has he has that little scene where he's talking talking with his crewmate about about the fact that he's now seeing this you know this other crew member that he had to leave behind and knew that he was going to die and couldn't couldn't do anything about it and he he left him 
And he said, he, you know, he made the point of saying, I never told anybody about that. The ship knows. I never said anything about it. It knows what I'm thinking. It knows what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And he was just echoing what was happening with everybody else. What they were, what they were having. And they have that, that great scene where they all reconvene and they say, you're not, you're not crazy. I'm seeing this this image around i'm seeing this person around that shouldn't shouldn't be there and that's you know again just that big that big overall psychological torment that they undergo is like takes this above and beyond just like a creature feature um and we see a a great example of it with we never really see what he sees but one of the crew members the young one who actually got pulled into the other dimension and all he came out and said was the darkness in me was enough to drive him to try to release himself into the 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 space hatch and you know jettison himself out into space yeah yeah well, that was a very tense scene mm-hmm. I mean, that, was that was incredibly tense scene that was and i think i think that scene right there explains the entire movie because one of the great things about the human mind is that we are so adapted to recognize patterns that, you know, we see faces in clouds, we see uh, images in stones, and, you know, sometimes we see things that aren't there, but our brain is constantly trying to make sense of the world. And it's got there, if we were pulled into a dimension that is like Sam Neill's character, uh, Dr. Weir explained it, of pure evil and chaos that would be beyond our comprehension. Our brain would still there, there's Lovecraft. Of, yeah, there's Lovecraft. Yep. Yep. It would just break us. And we would come back with images of horrors we could not understand. Yes. Yes. It would be the only way to find release. So well, that, yes. that's uh that's actually making me think of um again i touched on this on on the halfling and the spaceman podcast episode that that we did on your show mm-hmm. and we were talking about uh stephen king's it being my favorite horror movie and the yeah. the uh you know the the portrayal that tim curry gives uh being just uber unsettling <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. just straight nightmare fuel and you know messed me up for months after that yep right. um but there's an element of that in there too, where <clears throat> Pennywise takes on the form of your greatest fear. Right. But there's something else out there behind the clown, behind your worst fear, that when people see it in the story, they just can't comprehend it. And they go into just a, like their mind shuts down. They just go into a catatonic state when they see the the deadlights in the story and and in the book the one of the villains actually just dies immediately when seeing what's behind the the clown and the creature as a whole and not being able to to process it and that's again that's the genius of event horizon it's just this unknowable unseeable evil that you can't get your hands on and they try sam uh, not sam jackson um Lawrence Fish <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne tries to now I'm thinking about it. He does have lines that sound like Sam I don't, I don't. <laughs> that sound like uh Sam Jackson. But Lawrence Fishburne tries. He grabs a gun and explosives oh, and yeah, yeah. you know, he just can't 
get his hands on it. And it's like, well, I guess I got to destroy the the ship as a whole. Um, and of course, towards the end, we see Sam Neill completely lose it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have the very, very creepy scene of in his head, it's his wife doing this. But in reality, he takes his own eyes out. Right. And right. that's what makes him the big bad at the end, which I had seen that image before. Mm-hmm. out of context and just being like well that's super creepy and then <laughs> right. in here you know going back to i think it was off air but roger made a a joke about like a or a quote saying <laughs> we don't need eyes where we're going right. and that's a line from sam neil again talking yeah. about like you don't need to see the dimension that we're going to you're just gonna know about it right, right. it's just gonna get in your head mm-hmm. and you won't be able to you won't be able to not see it in your mind yes and we had a we had a a different scene where we saw the previous captain of the Mm -hmm. of the event horizon and their crew was the last day and they were about to open the gateway and right before they do that he's like we're gonna you know we're celebrating a job well done and we're gonna do this and then it just cuts and then when it comes back he looks like sam neil and we see just absolutely crazy crazy things that happened to this crew oh yeah Yeah. and it's just it's beyond unsettling and that's when we get the latin speaking of save yourself from hell from that that captain that we've been hearing on the recording all movie Mm -hmm. yeah i the scene you're talking about with his wife um you know gouging his eyes out um or him you know him thinking that it's his his wife i i actually mentioned to roger i said you know with with this the idea that you still don't know if there are physical manifestations or if it's just in their head what if she really was there what if she really did do that and he's just reacting to to what what's just happened to him you Mm -hmm. know be natural for somebody to put their hands up to their eyes like that you know so even even something as what you think is clear enough that he did it to himself did he or yeah. was she there 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 <laughs> and this is one of those things where the movie's ambiguous enough where it go either way and the reason i say that is because there was a scene where where three of the crew the three of the crew of the lewis and clark were on the bridge of the event horizon and there was this hammering on the bridge lock and you could see the indentations in the door. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So something was making those indentations. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, and I wonder, you know, because Janet, you brought up a good point about the Sam Neill's reaction. When I watched it, I actually thought that he was just reacting to the spirit of his wife mm-hmm. being the one that's inflicting that on him. But then I go to read the plot summary just to make sure I haven't missed anything. And it says he did it to himself. So I I wonder if there's debate between people when they watch this of did he do it to himself? Is there a ghost? And that goes back to to Kubrick with The Shining. You never you never like you see spirits, but it could the way it's played, it could all be in Jack Torrance's head and just, you know, him going cabin fever. Yep. 
definite similarities there. That's one. That's one of the great things, though, about about Event Horizon. It it drew from some really cool sources. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely, I don't know if if either of you have seen any of these movies, but it definitely also clicked in my head that this is very reminiscent of Clive Barker's work with Hellraiser, and you know the character of Pinhead, because mm -hmm. they they have those characters that travel from dimension to dimension and it's the whole pain for pleasure sort of concept yeah the Cenobite. Uh, mm -hmm. that definitely definitely resonated with me when watching this i'm like oh this is like hellraiser in space kind of which i think which i think is cool i think it's a lot of when watching the movie it comes off to me as yes derivative but like love letters to the to those horror movies right well if you think about the opening when we first get the see the crew of Lois and Clark Lewis and Lewis Clark. And Clark. I, yeah. you keep doing it. Did it you again. Keep doing it. Lewis, Lois Lois and Clark, Clark was, was a TV was series probably before your time. Um, but, but the Lewis and Clark, the crew, yeah, when you first meet them, they're um and, and they're getting ready to introduce Sam Neill's character. They're all around they're they're all hanging around this table and they're kind of cutting up or whatever and there's a parallel between that and and alien when when you first see or alien the first movie when you you see it's almost it's almost an exact kind of copy of that scene where you mm -hmm. first introduced to them and and they're all cutting up and it's it's obvious that they've worked together for a while and they you know have a rapport and all that they're joking whatever and that's this you know it, it's almost almost the exact same scene from from that movie so okay i i want to talk about i want to talk about the clue of the lewis and clark for a second mm -hmm. i have a lot of respect for the characters of the lewis and clark except for one thing the 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 if you have an outer containment and an inner containment, you should open the door to the outer containment, close it behind you, open the door to the inner containment, close it behind you, and then examine the engine. Now, why would you do something like that? I don't know because radiation is dangerous. <laughs> that's a very that's a very very good point. Uh, I guess I guess even in your, you know, as well put together as they are, when when things start going the way they do, they uh, you lose logic, right? That's a trope in horror. You just don't make the smart decisions. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, I I think that that's something that really a lot of horror depends on. I think horror depends on somebody making a foolish decision mm -hmm. along the way. Well, is okay. Because Kevin brought up the point, is it really foolish, or is it just is it just things have gone to hell in a handbasket, and and I'm just I'm just moving, I'm just doing <laughs> something, you know, right? I'm not thinking about I'm not thinking about you know those those little you know I should shut this door behind me kind of things that mm -hmm. you know, need to get in there, and you know you're not thinking so. Not nice kids, nice house. <laughs> get it. Too bad we can't nice stay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nice Too bad we can't stay. I have thought about that many times. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure we all have where you're like, I've seen enough of these horror movies to know that there's a strange noise in the dark. I'm not going to go check it out. There's a disembodied <laughs> voice the second I walk into the house. 
I've seen I've seen Amityville horror. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what's up with this slime going up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go investigate. Well, I think I think it's usually in the beginning when they're sort of supposed to be more naive. They decide, oh, I'll go right. check it out. Nothing's wrong. And then when things unfold, then it's more almost like klutzy where they're tripping over things or forgetting to shut the doors or running upstairs when they should go downstairs. Yes. Isn't this the camp where all the kids got murdered last summer? I know. Let's sneak away to the cabin and let's sleep away to the, the old shack and have sex. Yep. Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But again, for the most part, these characters keep their composure. You know, when they when they get wind of uh Weir, Sam Neill's character having stolen one of the explosives from oh, the yeah. from the yeah. bridge and uh Mr. Smith is mm-hmm. looking around to find it. He yeah. looks I'm not sure if it was the smartest thing for him to stop and look for the explosive. I thought he was trying to pack up his stuff to get off the Lewis and Clark, but he was looking for the explosive and it is devastating when he finds it and says, there you are. And it's got four seconds left on it before it blows up. He had enough time to hit the disarm button. That's and true. His, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the thing. It, did he, did he just freeze or did the ship stop him? No, mm-hmm. no, he was on the park. He just froze. <laughs> I, I, do, do we know how far reaching the, you know, the, this, this evil entity is, I mean, yeah, I mean it. I'm I just, guess I'm, I'm just playing. Right. <laughs> well, I guess if you're, I guess if you're docked to the event horizon like they were, I mean it's probably you know, you know, all hands on on deck, open door policy for for whatever's on the event horizon to then affect everybody on the Lewis and Clark. Right. Right. It's so, like it's like don't don't welcome a vampire into your home. Don't yeah. come in. <laughs> yep. Yep. And. uh don't let Sam Neill in when he looks like this after he's missing his eyes because this is ter- this is terrifying. Yes, yes. This is absolutely beyond creepy when they find him on the deck of the ship and he's in the chair just slouched yeah. over and yeah. then he lifts his head up and has got that the eyes stitched together so he has no eyes and then he's got that disembodied voice. Yeah, yeah. And it, hence Roger's line, you know, <laughs> we, we I, don't need eyes. <laughs> you know, my eye may be bloodshot, but it, it's it's not, you know, that, that freaky. No. No. <laughs> so, and so, go ahead, Roger. No, no, go ahead, Jason. Oh, no, you're good. I was I, I was just going to. Kevin, sorry. No. <laughs> the <All> other <laughs> Yeah. No, we were just continuing on with the plot. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I was going to, I was going to ask you. You know, you're the you're the horror expert. What do you think about this movie as a horror movie? So I was actually gonna bring that up. Um because when you look online, it does say sci-fi horror. Right. Uh but when I'm looking at it, I'm sitting there wondering, yeah, there's horror elements in, in there, but for the first hour or so of the movie, it's not really a full-fledged horror in the way that you would think. Um, and when things are unfolding, it's not really a jump scare fest. Um, it's not really a slasher, you know, even when Sam Neill becomes the quote unquote, we'll say the Jack Torrance where he's turning on everyone. He's not killing people left and right. He just wants to get the ship to the other dimension. 
Um, so I guess you could probably debate that maybe might maybe people wonder if it is a horror movie or not. As a horror movie to me, I would say that is that it is. I wouldn't say it's the scariest thing on the planet, but it is definitely uh again, going back to that Lovecraft horror, the the fear of the unknown and the fear of traveling too far and getting lost in whatever whatever you find. And I, I think that aspect of it is very unsettling, but it does take a little while to to get there. There's definitely probably, even though it's only an hour and 36 minutes long, there's a little bit of tweaking that they could do or, you know, things to beef it up a little bit because it is a little bit of a slow build for a while. Yeah, it. I, I would agree with that, um, you know, because things don't really start happening until really, I guess when when justin gets pulled in to mm -hmm. you know gets pulled in i think that's probably when things kind of start to unravel yes um, you know i i think you know when 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 he gets pulled in and then um cooper you know is able to pull him back out then it's kind of like okay something's really wrong here something mm -hmm. happened and you know and then that's when things just sort of snowball which i wondered when uh when justin was in the the airlock area and it was about to jettison him out to himself out to space he mm -hmm. pulls the he pushes the button for the outer lock mm -hmm. and then he goes limp for just a second and then comes back and is begging them to open it but he was so yeah. calm about it like he was i mean i'd be losing my mind if that was about to happen and but he's so calm and using the term mama bear to the character that he's talking to that I wondered, is Justin back or is this the ship using him to to guilt the one mama bear character to be like, you don't want to let me die. You don't want me to be like your son or be hurt in any way. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, that's that's extra evil. That's, yeah, that's, ooh, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, you know, it was, it was so calm for that character mm -hmm. based on what you think the normal reaction would be when you're about to be shot out into space yeah yeah and i just wondered if that was the ship continuing to just prey on on these characters guilt and their their minds yeah i well i mean she she was the most i think she was the most terrified mm -hmm. for him of of the of the crew um you could see i mean there there was there was this fear on her face the uh, the others the others wanted to save him you know but she had there was just something extra about her reaction to it so you i think you brought up a good point there you know yeah they're they're very good at the the ambiguous note in here and as we sort of get to the end of the movie we see sam neil um, who I wondered if he was gone because he goes to shoot Lawrence Fishburne with the gun. And then Lawrence says, if you miss, you're going to blow a hole in the hull of the ship. And of course, he says, what makes you think I'll miss? And then he goes to shoot at um, the other guy that had that was floating out into space, which is one of my worst fears in a movie, by the way. <laughs> it is the, the one guy that got... Uh, blown off of part of the ship and he's just sort of free floating out into space yeah, cooper cooper, cooper, yeah. cooper yes wow. yes 
Yeah. Um, there's a movie called Life from about six years ago. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds, Rebecca Ferguson in it. And it's kind of oh, an, yes. 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 And it's kind of an alien, you know, sort yeah. of copycat, but it, it is a very enjoyable one. But the ending of that movie is so terrifying and slight spoiler for <laughs> uh for people that haven't seen life, but essentially Jake Gyllenhaal and Rebecca Ferguson decide they're gonna get rid of this creature in one of the escape pods. Jake Gyllenhaal is going to lure it into an escape pod with him and then fly out to space, sacrifice himself so that the creature can't ever get to Earth. And Rebecca Ferguson is supposed to go down to Earth. But something happens along the way. They get swapped. And Jake Mm -hmm. Gyllenhaal brings the creature to Earth and Rebecca Ferguson goes out into space and her escape pod just shuts down. And she's left screaming, floating off into space. And that is just... Yeah, one of the most terrifying, terrifying endings to a movie ever to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not great. We we, <laughs> we saw that. We did. Uh, we did. Yeah, yeah, it was enjoyable. Um, but then, so I wondered if Sam Neill was actually gone because he shoots the hole and then gets blown, like pulled out into space. Uh, but he's not gone. He does come back, uh, as a ma- as a manifestation of the person that uh, Lawrence Fishburne let die on his previous crew and we have their sort of final showdown at the core of the ship which again very 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 creepy practical effects on sam neil with the way that he looks and how he's all scarred up Mm -hmm. and you know we have the the final showdown and essentially they they do finally destroy the ship but we are left again on an ambiguous ending with the three surviving crew members on a piece of the event horizon and they put themselves in stasis and then they're rescued and are I blanking on everybody's name for some reason, but the, the female crew member that's still alive yeah, at the, the very end. Mm-hmm. What's that? The Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Yes. Yeah, lieutenant. Name. Yeah. Can't remember yeah. her either, but she, she, she has a, a manifestation of we're still being there saying you're here with us. Mm-hmm. And then she's screaming as they're trying to comfort her, but they're still on a piece of the event horizon. So did, did whatever entity was there survive or is is it still there or are they actually free? And she's just traumatized. No, I, Oh, Roger, go ahead. No, no, no. The thing that concerns me about the ending of the film is that you see the engineering section of the event horizon fall into Neptune and you also see gases of the atmosphere of Neptune streaming into the black hole. Mm-hmm. That as those as that mass streams into that black hole, that black hole is just going to gather more and more mass. Mm-hmm. It's going to absorb all of Neptune. So we're going to have this portal into this hell dimension. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, so maybe we need a well maybe what we need is a uh sequel to uh event horizon called event horizon hellgate <laughs> i i would be about it and i guess for a while paul ws anderson did try to go back to it uh and they could never get it secured to make the movie and now mm-hmm. he said in recent years you know i don't want to I feel like it'll be ruinous to go back to the event horizon and not leave it where it was. So he has said in recent years, from what I understand that he doesn't want to do a sequel. Right. Um, There was talks of a prequel, like a series um, 
about Event Horizon, which I'm assuming would be just the first crew of the Event Horizon. Right. Which could be could be interesting. But again, I'm okay if they if they don't do that. I like just the little snippets and windows that we got into what actually happened. Right. Yeah. It would be kind of interesting, but but yeah, I don't I don't I don't feel the need for it though. Right. I mean, it's it's one of those things that the movie does such a great job of the you know, again, that amb- ambiguity, you know, and it's left to the viewer to decide, you know, what 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 was what was really happening, what was it really about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, talking about the very ending when when the character pulls up his visor and it's and it's Sam Neill's character and you wondered if if it wasn't still, you know, manifestations or whatever whatever of the event horizon. I didn't I didn't even think that. And the reason I didn't think that is because it shows actual rescuers. Mm-hmm don't have face shields on and it shows cooper holding her telling her you know and saying that it's okay that it's okay i didn't get i didn't get the idea that that it was just a continuation of the nightmare mm-hmm. I, I i and maybe that's just the optimist in me maybe i maybe <laughs> i prayed for her for <laughs> somebody to survive yeah. Well, remember the scene when Dr. Weir uh, first came out of of stasis and he walked to the bridge and saw his dead wife. Mm-hmm. And then he came out of uh, bre- uh, uh, stasis a second time and almost drowned. Be- so that's that's a parallel to that scene. Oh, OK. Actually, yeah, that actually makes sense. That does that does make a lot of sense. Um. Yeah. Which which begs the question: If they did do a sequel, is the lieutenant gonna then be affected in a similar way that Sam Neill was, or is she gonna completely recover from it? It's it's funny you you would ask that because I actually when we first saw the movie back in the theaters, um, I remember wondering as as the film. As as you get to that final scene where she comes out, where she comes out of the stasis, uh, out of the stasis chamber, and she's got her head, she's on all fours, and she's got her head down, and she's coughing and everything like that. Um, I wondered. I had two thoughts. She's either going to lift her head up, and you're going to see the eyes that that have that shows she's been affected, or what actually happened. What I I envision you know that that was one of one of the ideas i had but the other was she was going to lift her head up and it was going to be obvious that she had become infected or affected or whatever right call it um so it's kind of interesting you asked that you asked that question yeah it's definitely definitely some discussion to be had about it and the last question i had for the both of you because i know that when i watch movies especially from this era you're always building to a big, big reveal with like all of the explanation of everything spilled out for people to to take in. And this movie, we hear about the quote unquote hell dimension so much, but we never really see it. We see it sort of spill into the real world, but we never really go into the hell dimension. 
we just hear about it. Mm-hmm. But I think with what a lot of movies would do, they would save that for the end where you do get the reveal of that dimension. And we we don't get that there. And I kind of know where where I land on that, where I kind of like that it's ambiguous. Um, but I wonder for the both of you, did you want to go to the hell dimension or did you like that they kept it only <laughs> what we perceive it as? Or did you want to see the full fledged version? Halfling? Oh, I thought you were getting ready to. No, no, you go first. Oh, okay. Well, I I have probably a different take than than some people would, because I I sort of felt like we were seeing the hell dimension throughout the whole movie by all the manifestations. I think that I I kind of thought that hell was what you made of it. Mm-hmm. Hell was in your own mind. Hell was what you created, um, and it would go back to the type of person that you had and 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 you know the experiences that you that you had is that you're you create you're basically creating your own hell so mm-hmm. i i that was kind of my take was was that we were seeing the hell dimension manifest in each of these individuals because they were creating their own personal hells yeah that's a really good point yeah, uh, I I tend to agree. I think that the the hell dimension would be so far beyond our ability to comprehend that it would be impossible to show it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you look at Disney's The Black Hole, they visit a hell dimension at the end, and you know, you've got this uh, Judeo Christian Islamic kind of representation of hell. And if you look at the end of Phantasm, there's kind of a similar. Uh, uh, presentation of hell, but you know, if we're talking about something that's so far from the ability of the human mind to perceive that, you know, all we can do is, you know, have these glimpses of, of the sheer horror of it. So, yeah, I like the way they did it. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely pretty masterful the way that they did it. And again, I don't think we see that a whole lot where it is left a little more ambiguous while also making it a little more subtle in its reveal. Um, because again, we will see horror movies where, especially if it's like a creature feature or something, like they do the Jaws effect where you're waiting the entire movie to see the creature or whatever mm-hmm. is doing this. Or if a ghost movie, you're waiting the whole movie to see the demon or the spirit or whatever it is. Um and especially in the late 90s when CGI was becoming more and more prevalent, but it was still in its early stages. You know, look at Paul W.S. Anderson's last movie before this, Mortal Kombat. You're building to that CGI spectacle. So you would expect right. that Event Horizon would, okay, we're going to go to the Hell Dimension and we're going to see a big CGI creation at some point. And they don't do that. And I think it's actually to the better of the movie that they that they don't do that. Yeah, I, I I would agree. Um, I I think it would it would lose something to have this reveal, so to speak, of of the actual dimension. Um, I I think, but but again, that goes back to me saying that I think hell is what you make of it. Mm-hmm. Hell is what you create in your own mind. Um, so it's going to be he- the hell dimension. I think would be different for for everybody. Who came? Who 
you know, who visited it or who had contact with it. I think it would be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And if you look at what happened on the event horizon, it was different for each each person. Mm-hmm. And it was very personal. So Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, talking about, you know, the movie, we've been talking about the horror side of the movie. I think it's easy to forget this movie was also pretty darn good science fiction. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely got a lot of inter- like very realistic, interesting questions that it asks about, you know, space travel and science as a whole. Um, and, you know, I think that it's a movie that as we wrap up the discussion on the movie, I think that it's a movie that does beg you to ask questions about it and sort of come up with your your answers to is there anything good to- with what Dr. Weir is talking about? Or is this all, no, 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 we should stay away from from that. And that, again, that goes back to that Lovecraft influence. Right. Um, well, I would even, I would even quote uh, Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. You know, <laughs> scientists think, scientists spend so much time thinking about can we, that they don't think about should we. Yep. No. That's very true. That's very true. And, uh, I mean, this movie would be a great double feature with Jurassic Park, I think, actually. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe the hell dimension is full of dinosaurs. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's dinosaurs are just all in the hell dimension. That's great. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think I'd like to see it with uh, Reanimator, but then again, I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Combs. Oh, so. yeah. He's great. He, so people will hear this when when that episode comes out, but we just put out an episode on the movie, the Frighteners also from the Uh nineties and Jeffrey Combs is in that as well. And he plays this really quirky, um, almost like a detective character that's going after, um, uh, I just blanked on his name. Uh, Marty McFly, the actor. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael J. Fox. He's going after Michael J. Fox. And he plays this, Jeffrey Combs plays this really quirky, shy character that's going after Michael J. Fox, but he has these little little things about him where he doesn't like when a when a woman yells at him, so he'll throw up when he gets nervous about a woman yelling at him, yelling at him. <laughs> uh, and he has just anxiety and like he's got so that came out after Reanimator, but even his portrayal of Herbert West is just very quirky. Mm-hmm. and like really entertaining to watch mm-hmm. um so people will hear our discussion on that on the reanimator episode but jeffrey combs is fantastic i think he's a great actor oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh kevin i want to take an opportunity to pour one out for netflix dvd service because they're the reason <laughs> we were able to watch uh they're the reason we were able to watch uh event horizon again and yep. they will be missed yeah oh are they are they finally they're they're not doing that yeah they're cutting the dvds the dvd service out Uh, that's that's unfortunate i i'm still a big fan of of having physical media around streaming is very convenient but i do like having something in my hand to to be able to watch especially if it's something that i'll go back to all all you know time Mm -hmm. and time again 
Um, but shout shout out to Netflix DVD service, absolutely. <laughs> um, but as we you know bring it on home, and before we talk about your podcast, uh, do you have any final thoughts on Event Horizon? Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would agree. I think it's got a lot to recommend it. Um, just top notch performances by by everybody, um, and the effects while they're dated. I still think I still think they work pretty pretty well. Most of them, most of them still work pretty well. I think they did an excellent job with creating the atmosphere and the mood. So yeah, like like Roger said, watch it. Absolutely. Oh, and if you're, if you're Guillermo del Toro and you're out there and you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> find the money to make that at the Mountains of Madness movie. Oh yeah, I just was reading yeah. something about that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, hopefully so hopefully so Guillermo del Toro would be fantastic at that um but yeah I mean three for three watch Event Horizon I think it's still criminally you know as someone that just watched it for the first time I think it's criminally underrated um and a movie that probably because I looked it up online and it's got you know there's always the Rotten Tomato scores it's got like a 33 percent on Rotten Tomato and I think that uh I think it deserves some some re some revisiting um definitely Definitely. so uh but yeah it's a recommend from from all of us go watch event horizon i think you'll be surprised um but that's our topic or that's our discussion on the movie pick for this week uh before we you know wrap up the show completely i would definitely want to talk about your podcast the halfling and the spaceman uh people we shared out our episode that we did with you all uh to our listeners and everybody's really enjoyed it so i want to for people that don't know halfling in the spaceman what is the show all about what's the premise and what's the what's the goal um and the the topic at hand for halfling in the spaceman roger you want to start (laughs) the the halfling in the spaceman uh we interview all sorts of creators from all different uh aspects of fandom people who have taken the things that they love and become creators authors artists cosplayers you know, podcasters like you, Kevin, and mm-hmm. um, just people who've taken the things that they've loved and become creators themselves. Janet? Well, the tag, the one of the things that we say when we open our podcast is we're fans talking to fans. So we, you know, and, and everybody's got a story. So we want to hear as many of those stories as, as we can. And we're, our goal is to to highlight the community of fandom in general and to invite everybody into that community. Um, you know, and, and we think that everybody has something to offer and we're hoping that we can inspire listeners as well who may be a little hesitant to take that step, you know, maybe just start that podcast or maybe to write that book or you know, or to, you know, to get that costume together for cosplay. So we're hoping to inspire people as well as just, as well as just, you know, give, give people in the community a voice, let, let them all be heard. And we get to meet lots and 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 lots. I think they get the idea. Lots. No, that's of cool people. That's a uh, that's a really beautiful thing um, to focus on because I think that uh, never mm-hmm. enough creative people 
in the world. There's always something new that can be brought to the table. And I wanted to ask both of you, because we touched on this on on your show with Jason and I, but -hmm. I want to throw it back to, to the both of you. What fandoms of your own inspired you to to create halfling in the spaceman to want to explore other people's fandoms and what they work on (laughs) now i know how our guests feel all right we got we got editing so take all the time (laughs) well it was was really my secret rule 34 event horizon (laughs) oh cut that cut that (laughs) <laughs> we'll put it put it as a blooper at the end yeah. <laughs> no I, I i'll be honest with you i i didn't have a clue i mean i enjoy lots of different lots of different things i enjoy you know sci-fi fantasy um just lots of different things i mean the the books that i read are they cover a wide gambit of you know of genres I mean, so I'm not, I'm not really, I have never been absolutely gaga head over heels. You know, I have to do or have to meet or whatever that type of fandom or fan. But Roger had the idea of wanting to start a podcast. Yes, you. Yes, you. (laughs) And, you know, we, we bandied about the idea and finally said, well, you know, what, what is it that we can, what is it we have? What is it we can do? What is it we, we can bring to other people? And, you know, that's how the, that's how the idea of the podcast started. So I, as far as like, you know, serious fandom, there's, there's too much of it for me, it, but it's, it's more general. It's not, like I said, you know, I mean, Star Wars, Star Trek, all of it, Marvel, you know, all of it, DC, you know, although I will say DC with the animated, not so much with, <laughs> with the live action movies. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, and speaking of that, we lost the voice of Harley Quinn. I don't know if you heard about that. I, I heard about this yesterday. Absolutely. Rest in peace. What a, what a phenomenal voice actor. Yeah. She, she was, she was great. Um, but uh, anyway, so like I said, just general fan, just general fan of, of lots of different things. All right, Roger. <laughs> you mean I actually have to give a real answer? <laughs> I mean, you can, you can leave it on the other note if you want. I, that works. <laughs> since, I, since I didn't, yes, you do. So. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm really a tabletop RPG guy from way back. And, um, you know, that, that's always going to be my true love, my true passion. But I love meeting people, getting to know people. You know, I love zines. And, um, you know, so, I'll, you know, I love other geeks. <laughs> That's about it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I've always had a soft spot for Velma from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> that's how we. That's how we ended up together. Yeah, I there was you go. A short, uh, a short, smart girl with glasses, and so I married <laughs> a short, smart girl with glasses. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> so, what member of the Scooby Gang are are you then, Roger? I have to be Shaggy because I'm not. I, I don't wear an. <laughs> and uh, you know, I love them. I love the munchies. Although I'm not really skinny enough to be Shaggy. <laughs> But I'm, 
I'm not I'm not flamboyant enough to be Fred, you know, because I don't have the ascot. And... <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I I I always would uh, wake up to the old Boomerang cartoons on TV, and I would watch like endless hours of that original Scooby Doo cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, always one of my always one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's fantastic, and I again I think that's a a great thing to to tackle with a podcast and you know again to hopefully inspire people to pursue their fandoms and make new things out of it so the last question i had as we wrap it up is because i know that i talk to a lot of people that have things that they are fans of but i've met people that say oh you know i've always wanted to do this or that with it but like i'm not creative i'm not i don't know how to how to do that or they've said i'm not passionate about anything that way to know how to create something but then you go to talk to them and like they're into you know doing costumes they're into writing uh whatever that may be writing a blog writing a review of something uh whatever it may be everybody has something that they are a fan of doing and a way in which they can turn that into a creative outlet but I know a lot of people get stumped or they get in their own heads when trying to to figure out what to do. So what advice do you two have to people who want to be creative and take their fandoms and turn them into something else? What advice do you have to people like that that maybe are a little stifled or don't know where to start? Well, I, I would echo what so many of our guests have said. Uh, when talking with us about that very, very thing or, you know, advice for people who want to get started is just do it. Just, just do it. Don't be, don't be afraid of what kind of reaction you may, you may get. And whatever your creative outlet is, especially if it's something like writing or art or comics or whatever, don't worry about the fact that the first time you you get out there it's going to be crap because people go through that you don't come out perfect this to the first time so and and you know don't worry about don't worry about other people's reaction like if you want to if you want to do cosplay find something in your closet and put it together and go have a good time and don't worry don't worry about somebody looking at you with with you know with their hands on their hips or whatever we had a we had a guest early on who who talked about um, gatekeeping, uh, which for those who may not be familiar with it, is where you know people who are the quote real fans will look down on somebody who may be just getting started, especially in cosplay. Oh, you can't do that because you're not you know you're not tall enough or you're too thin or you're not the right color or you know, you can't play that. You're a, you're a girl. You're not a, you're not a man, you know, that type of thing. So it's gatekeeping. So just screw them. Just do what you want to do and have fun with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to add on to that is that everybody can be a dick sometimes, but there are a few people out there in the community that are a dick all the time. So learn to not listen to those voices. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, from even from the horror side, there are some fans out there, love them all, but 
they'll get on you for not liking something that they love or or vice versa you mm -hmm. liking something that they are just 110% positive is a bad movie or a bad story or whatever and most right. recently the one i saw most of was halloween ends last october it's mm -hmm. a very divisive movie it's a very different movie i have my take on it i personally loved it i thought it was a great new reinvention of the the halloween story and the story of michael myers i understand that it's not for everybody i completely understand that but i would see people online who would say you know i don't know guys i i really like this one i think it's cool i think it's different i think it's uh a interesting twist on a movie and a story that is now 13 movies deep right. and i saw people tell tell them if you like that movie, you're not a real fan of Halloween. And it's like, well, people like different things. That's that's totally okay if you don't like it. <laughs> but uh right. Yeah. right. It's, it's like The Last Jedi. Now, we didn't like The Last Jedi. Neither one of us did. Sure. But we weren't asses about it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. So we just because somebody else is being a jerk doesn't give you a reason to be a jerk so yes don't don't be a jerk and understand that other people will be jerks i mean mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 you have to you know like i said before just screw screw what other people think you know you like what you like and don't worry about other people because every because everybody's got an opinion and it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be it doesn't have to match yours absolutely and, yeah so just 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 let people be that's the thing let people be and have a good time and have a good yes time. have have fun with what you're doing that's gonna that's gonna take you a very long way we just um had a surreal moment earlier this week uh we had the creator and co-host of my like absolute all-time favorite podcast a show that i've been listening to for the last six years it was the second podcast i ever found the first mm -hmm. one i found was still a podcast but it was more of like a famous person interviewing other famous people right which is a great show but it was like an interview style show right. which was which was fantastic but this show horror movie night was the first show that i found that was like someone who's like friends who are just doing it for fun yeah, and they're right. just being loosey-goosey they're just having fun with it and having great conversations with friends and just doing something that they love and talking about what they love mm -hmm. and that was the show that made me want to do a podcast because i'm like this sounds like so much fun and we just had that creator and co-host on our show to talk about a movie that they introduced me to uh -huh. and so you know very surreal full circle moment there and he said on the show when i asked him what he loves about podcasting when we were talking about just getting into it and just doing it for the hell of it and just to have fun mm -hmm. his his words of advice were the second you go into doing something with some sort of expectation, albeit to make money or to be famous or go somewhere that way, you're going to, you're doing it for the wrong reasons already. And you're probably going to be destined to fail. Not every time, but 99% of the time that's going to happen. And he yeah. said, if you just do this, find what you love and just do it for you, you're going to go places. And I'm doing this to hang out with Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
no, that's been that's been one of my my favorite things about the show was that I never thought that I'd be sitting on a panel talking with other podcasters about what it is to do a podcast. And now our <laughs> our because I did two panels there. I did uh, has Hollywood run out of new ideas for new horror movies and ask a podcaster. And I never thought I'd be doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's been one of my but that's been one of my favorite aspects of the show is getting to talk to people that way. And then also to meet. Oh, geez. Smack my microphone off my table. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, getting to to talk about stuff that I love with other people that have that same love and getting to make friends like yourselves to, uh, you know, bonding over that type of stuff. Enough said right there. Just just do what you love and just do it for yourself and you'll be amazed where it'll take you if you're just doing it out of the passion and enjoyment that you get out of it. So, but uh, Janet and Roger, it has been such a pleasure having you both on here to talk about Event Horizon and to talk about podcasting. And it's been a pleasure working with you all this summer. And I definitely look forward to doing it again in the future. Uh, So where can people find Halfling and the Spaceman? When do episodes come out? What's your social medias and what can people... uh, what can people do to to check out the show? Uh, Roger, you'll have to help me out here. All <laughs> right. You can uh, it, on the web you can find us at podcast.halflingandspaceman.com. You can also find us on on Apple Podcast and Spotify as the Halfling and the Spaceman. Um, our social on um, X, formerly Twitter, is and Halfling. <laughs> On Instagram, we're Halfling and Spaceman. On Threads, we're Halfling and Spaceman. On Facebook, we're the Halfling and the Spaceman. Um, the new episodes uh, drop every Sunday. Usually, they're on they're on uh, Apple Podcast and Spotify by eleven a.m. Sometimes a little later, depending on how we're going. Um, there's no episode this week because of uh, well, the word, there's no episode uh, the week we're recording this. There'll probably be an episode the, the week you're hearing this, though. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, he had eye surgery, so his ability mm-hmm. to do editing is greatly diminished right now. <laughs> but we'll be back. We'll be back. Don't worry. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, everybody listening, you heard it here first. Go check out The Halfling and the Spaceman. It has quickly become one of my favorite shows to listen to, and there's a lot in there to to dive into about fandoms and good you know, tips to get you started on if you're looking to do something creative. And we greatly appreciate you both, Roger and Janet, for coming on. And we cannot wait to do it again in the future. And uh, that's it for this episode of the Midnight Terrace podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. We had a great time. Good to talk to you again. Always, always a pleasure. Well, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the Midnight Terrors podcast. We'll be back again next Sunday with another new episode. In the meantime, lots to plug. Check us out on social media, Facebook and Instagram under Midnight Terrors podcast. Shoot us an email at midnightterrorspodcasts at gmail.com. And we have announced a live podcast event our very first one, we're going to be at Oak Road Brewery in Somerville, South Carolina on Thursday, October 19th from 7 to 9, doing two live podcast episodes. We're also going to have our friends from the local Rocky Horror Group, Charleston's Absent Friends, to do a couple numbers there. They're also going to judge the costume contest that evening, and we're going to do a round of horror trivia, all with fun prizes throughout the night. There is a 
great selection of craft beer and a food truck with, I believe, like Philly cheesesteak style, style sandwiches. So it is going to be a total blast. So please come on out. No ticket required. Just come hang out with us. Interact with us. Bring your voices. We want to hear you interact with us during the live recording so that people listening on the feed get the full experience. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the Midnight Terrors podcast, and we'll see you all again next week. Peace.